My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest has always had an interest in precious metals. On a whim, he quit a high-paying job to become one of the first full-time employees of UPMA, Utah Precious Metals Association. He was able to grow the organization from 400 members to over 25,000 members. In 2019, he created the gold product known as Goldback. This exhibited gold in splendor quantities for the first time. Using a patent production process, he effectively set up a novel product in one of the oldest industries known to man. Please welcome to the show, Jeremy Corden. Jeremy, how are you? Doing all right. Thanks for having me here. Pleasure is all mine. Why don't we take a minute and walk people through your backstory? How did you get interested in precious metals? How did you get going with UPMA? And where did the ideas for Goldback come from? You know, just really briefly... I wouldn't have been interested in precious metals at all had it not been for the Ron Paul campaign back in 2011. You know, that grabbed me and a whole bunch of other millennials and got them really excited about libertarianism and precious metals is just part of the package. So, you know, I bought a few thousand dollars worth. I was pretty fascinated by it, but more so than, you know, buying gold just in case or silver just in case. I really liked the sound money aspect of gold and silver. You know, you're trying to have a better money system at the end of the day. And that's what really got me interested in precious metals, not as a collectible or, you know, like an emergency preparedness item, but as, you know, a more true money, I guess. Okay. And then from there, I mean, that's quite a, a leap from having an interest in precious metals to actually going out there and creating and and for those on the video I actually have brought some of the gold backs from that I purchased a couple of months ago I think before you and I got connected I mean this is a very unique product so how did you go from a interest in precious metals to developing something so unique Okay uh, that's that's a fair question you might be familiar with the Utah Legal Tender Act of 2011 that was drafted by my business partner and that's the guy I ended up working for. And he really had the same aim that I did, where he wasn't just trying to sell gold and silver. He was trying to make gold and silver money, right? Which I, I think really captured a lot of imagination, you know, for me especially. And he's just here in Utah. He's, you know, same neck of the woods. So I worked for him. And that was very much our goal with the United Precious Metals Association, that we were trying to get people to use gold and silver as money again. We actually did a crypto project where we thought that maybe with like a crypto technology, people would be spending gold again if we could just make it small enough. And it just wasn't 
that successful. You know, people told me over and over again was, hey, it's not that I don't trust you. It's I don't trust the government. You know, I don't trust that they're not going to roll through your wall with a tank and take all the gold. So I don't I don't really want your gold cryptocurrency because if you don't hold it, you don't own it. And it was around that time in 2018 that I met Valorum at one of these trade shows. And they're the manufacturing company for the gold back. And I I saw what they had. And, you know, you had these golden ticket-like technology where gold could get really small. And that fascinated me. They couldn't go that small then, but I helped them raise a whole bunch of money and built up that relationship. And that was the, the foundation for setting up gold back. Okay, so the technology already existed in place before you got working on it. But what about the patented part of it? Is the patents owned by you guys or is it owned by them? So the technology in terms of how goldbacks are actually done, they're all controlled and made by Valorum. They couldn't go as small as a goldback when I found them. You know, they're doing about a tenth of a gram, whereas a goldback is about a third that size. But by 2019, they could. And that's when we started the goldback. Okay. So it was it was very much, you know, being the right place at the right time and the technology being at the right place to execute on it. Goldback couldn't have happened a year earlier because the technology simply wasn't there yet. Yeah. Well, traditionally, when we think about precious metals as money, obviously, I mean, we can go back and we talk about Roman history and things like that. But okay, put all of that behind us. Usually when people are thinking about actually spending precious metals, it might be spending eagles or maple leaves or things like this or maybe some junk silver, some coins from pre-1970s. But this is a very unique way of doing it because, first of all, I guess that the art itself is very, very unique and has a lot of story to it. I think that also people are just so used to having a bill in their wallet opposed to carrying around a gold coin at, you know, whatever we're talking right now, $1,850, right. $1,900 an ounce. So there's advantages, I suppose, that have come really just over the last year or the last couple of years with this type of technology. No, I think so. You know, when my wife got married, I told her, I said, what I wanted to do is I wanted to leave the United States. I actually wanted to move down to Chile and we were going to get a sailboat and you can see a sailboat behind me. <laughs> you know, we, we wanted to leave the country. And my thought was, you know, I'm going to have these gold or silver coins in my boat, you know, like, like a pirate, right. You know, and they're going to be, you know, sewn in somewhere in some secret spot that the customs people won't find. And wherever I go, you know, if it's the Caribbean or whatever, I might be able to pull out a coin and trade it for whatever the local currency is. And, and you have to do that because, you know, if you come out and you have a coin, you know, China has made so many fake coins for gold and silver that unless you're an expert, you shouldn't have a lot of confidence in whether or not your coin is even real, you know, and that trickles down to the end user. Also, if you're going to have a gold coin, who's going to take that from you? And for what? You know, I mean, how often are you doing a $2,000 transaction in the Bahamas or, or Puerto Rico or, or wherever you end up? The gold back is really designed for bartering directly with individuals and you're, you're skipping the step where you turn it into the local currency altogether because you're bartering with gold. The, the whole thing is gold. And, you know, this thing, it's worth, you know, it's worth like four U.S. dollars. So it's it's a very tradable, usable form of gold, you know, as opposed to a coin. And by the way, gold backs have never been counterfeited. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Has it been attempted? Have others tried to to replicate this? Not really. I mean, 
imagine you're a counterfeiter. You want to make some fake stuff. If you can pass off a fake gold eagle or a fake gold bar, that's a $2,000 payoff for you. And by the way, you can do it with about $30,000 worth of equipment, right? You know, old mints. I mean, the technology has been around for a long, long time. You know, it's not proprietary. It's not secret. Mm-hmm. It's not even expensive to do. And I think that's part of why we're seeing so many fakes. The barrier for doing it is just really low. If you wanted to make a fake gold back, you're looking at about $3 million worth of vacuum deposition equipment just to get started. To make on the low end a $4 Going in on the high end, what is the highest it goes? The the most expensive gold back is close to two hundred bucks. So you know, and if you can't pass it off because it's not going to look right, you're out millions of dollars as opposed to ten bucks. You know, and you can try again because you got thirty thousand dollars worth of equipment. So I don't think it's very attractive for counterfeiters at this stage. I mean, that could mm-hmm. be different in ten or twenty years, but then we're ten or twenty years ahead of these guys. You know, where you can authenticate a gold back with your phone. And that barrier for counterfeiting just gets higher and higher and higher. It helps to have a head start. That does make a lot of sense. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the divisibility of the gold backs, because I think this is really interesting. When I was looking through and I was looking at purchasing, well, I'll I'll kind of leave it to you. Can you explain the divisibility and how it works? Well, that was my other problem with coins. If you have a one ounce gold coin, this isn't a gold coin, it's silver. But even if you went to a system where everyone's using coins, a one ounce gold coin does not equal 10 tenth ounce gold coins, right? I mean, it goes like eight or something, which is, I mean, talk about ridiculous. I think that's why even people that are kind of sound money people don't actually use gold coins is it's it's just not as convenient. So one of the things that we did with gold back is we said, okay, we're going to make this one denomination as absolutely as cheap as we can possibly make it. In fact, they're produced at a loss to this day. The one denomination is produced at a loss. Normally, if you go something with something this small, you're looking at like a two to 300% premium. You know, goldbacks are closer to like 100%. So it's extremely cheap for what it is, you know, to have a serialized, measured, weighed piece of gold. The 50, you can turn it in for 50 of these ones. It costs 50 times as much. So all of the goldbacks are interchangeable. It's just like cash. It doesn't really matter which denomination you have. And the denominations are 1s, 5s, 10s, 20s, and 50s? Is that right? 25s and 50s. 25s and 50s. Okay. So I mentioned that you know one of my business partners, Larry Hilton, he drafted the Legal Tender Act in Utah. And that's the law that we use to make the Utah gold back. The state was already recognizing virtually every form of 24-karat gold as legal tender within the state. And that's what the gold back is. They didn't specifically have to say goldback. It just met the criteria that was already in state law, which made it really easy to just do. You know, in that sense, the goldback is really a, a technological breakthrough in that we've never had gold small enough to be used in, you know, kind of like small transactions, right? So it's a little tricky finding the right laws for something that's so new which, you know, any entrepreneur will tell you if they're in a new space. It's like, you know, there's no, there's not a whole lot of regulation or laws around this thing because this thing hasn't been a thing. That said, looking at other states, we've actually found laws in every state in the country that allow for gold backs to be used in some way. We tend to avoid states where there's a sales tax on precious metal because, you know, that's, that's no good. We can be kind of selective with which states that we do. But in terms of being legal, something that we did add to the gold back, and this is language as of 2022, 
is language that allows people to turn in a thousand gold backs, which is an ounce of gold, for a US minted gold eagle, which is a $50 gold piece. And that actually falls under what's called the Uniform Commercial Code. So this is a state level law that's adopted by all 50 states. And okay, so have you ever seen like a, a coupon that said it has a cash value on it? Sure. It's like the, the coupon's worth like a, a penny or a tenth of a penny or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. So they have to put that on the coupons because that ties into the uniform commercial code. It makes it so it's legal to make a coupon, you know, that's transactional and, and has a money-like function in any state. It's the same law because we have that same language on the gold back where, hey, you can turn this in. This basically becomes a coupon for getting a gold eagle, which is as a $50 face value, it's minted by the government. So it's like a coupon for a gold coin minted by the government, except the coupon it itself is made out of gold. Cool. Very neat. Legal in every state. And by the way, you know, probably legal, I don't really know this for sure, but probably legal in every country. Because the value of the gold back isn't the name of the state that's on it. You know, this one's in Nevada. It's the fact that it's gold. You're really just trading with gold wherever you go. So you already have these issued from, I believe it's four states or five states. If it's available in all 50 of them, and we take out the ones that have the sales tax on precious metals, why did you choose these four ones? Obviously, Utah, okay, that makes sense because that's where you guys are based. But where was the direction of the company for the, the remaining ones? You know, that's a really good question. Nevada, when we did Utah, we didn't think that we were going to do any other states. Okay. We thought, hey, this is just going to be a Utah uh, currency. That's it. It's just going to circulate in Utah. That's, that's all we're ever going to do. And we quickly found that 95% of goldback sales were occurring outside of the state of Utah. And by the way, they didn't just stop in the United States. We've got sales in Canada. We've got sales in most countries. Panama. You got you got a buyer here in Panama. So <laughs> yeah, we we've shipped goldbacks all over the world. You know, I mean, they're all over the place. They're being sold on all the continents right now. So you know, it's become truly international and people are using them all over the world. I don't know to what degree because I don't track it. You know, it's not like cryptocurrency where I know, you know, how and when these things are being used. But, you know, I'm getting a lot of, you know, stories and people using these, you know, in Thailand or in Panama or in Chile or in Brazil or whatever. Because, again, people are excited to use these because they're gold. Now, as far as why we did the states that we did. Nevada was one of our early investors. He wanted to get a Nevada gold back going. So we decided to do Nevada and try it out. And it was a, it was a huge success. We had another sponsor in New Hampshire. And then Wyoming not only had a sponsor, they had a really great state level law. Wyoming has a law that exempts most types of transactions with gold from most forms of taxation. So it's, it's an exceptional place to do gold backs. Right now we have a sponsorship program where new states can be sponsored by somebody in essence buying a giant pile of gold backs and then leasing it back to the company. We'll make a gold back for whatever that place is. And we've had people not just interested in US states but in doing small countries, uh, you know, things like that all over the world, which is really fun, you know, and setting up these business networks and you know facilitating you know, the gold back as a local currency, wherever the new place is. Okay, amazing. Do you guys have plans to do additional states or do you guys think you'll keep it at these ones? Or I guess maybe it's dependent on who comes forward as sponsors through this. We've had sponsors. We've had people 
people threatening to sponsor every single state in the country except for Delaware. Okay. For whatever reason, no one wants to sponsor Delaware. No one's ever asked us about Delaware. I think it's going to be the last one. Or maybe Washington, D.C., just because they don't have that state law. Yeah, yeah. I would have put Virginia or New York or something a little bit more blue. That would probably be not quite as excited about this as the rest of us. You know, you you actually might be surprised. I was surprised. There's been over 2,000 local currency projects in the United States, according to Wikipedia. The vast majority of them were done by leftists in leftist areas. Because, think, okay, think for a minute, like Occupy Wall Street, Shop Local, you know, a lot of the kind of localism, there's a movement for that on the left. And it's often people on the left that really like local currencies. And we were super surprised to see that with the gold back. I wasn't looking for it, but a lot of people using gold backs, it's across the political spectrum in a way that I didn't anticipate at first. Okay. That's interesting. I would not have guessed that in my first pass through of it, but I suppose it does make sense on some level. I think that also, you know, the differences between left and right have drastically changed over the last several years. Sure. The ones that were supposed to be the freedom fighters and standing up against society are now the ones that are most in line to enforce laws on other people. So I think that there's some history there. It's interesting how how views shift over time or how entire parties can shift their views over time. You know, something that I joke about is look at who the anti-war party is at any given time, right? You know, I mean, when I was growing up, the left was the anti-war party, period. You know, Bush was a criminal. He was a murderer. We're in Afghanistan, we're killing babies, you know, and Obama was to end the war, right? Now, you know, the same people that talked about the horrors of war, you know, they've got the Ukraine flags flying on their homes. And, you know, if we can just bleed Russia, you know, it's just. It's pretty hawkish, <laughs> some of the stuff that I see coming out now. It's, uh, I mean, I'm against war on all fronts and I've lived in the Middle East and I've lived in all over the world. And I've seen things traveling extensively in third world countries and see the real people and, and what this does. I am absolutely against this on all fronts. So it's, it is very sh shocking to see actually this type of behavior. It's a little disturbing. And I think a lot of it stems down to tribalism, you know, and people identifying with their tribe and their tribe's ideas and wherever that carries them. And I think that's why I like hanging out with libertarians so much as you get all the kind of the free thinking king crowd it's not as much of a tribe in that sense in terms of following a leader and doing whatever that leader says all the time you know sure. regardless of principle but that's i agree with that's that. more into the weeds i guess well no because it is interesting because i think people would like to know where goldbacks come from and if it is a bipartisan type of thing if there are people on the right and the left that are are interested in this then you can expect that the adoption will be a lot faster than if it's just us libertarian-minded people, I mean, we're a fraction of a fraction of the fraction of the overall population. Because I would imagine the idea of this is not just to have a little tiny secret currency that only libertarians and ANCAPs know about. I mean, if we really want to change the world in any meaningful way, it has to be adopted by a lot more people. Is that a fair statement? No, absolutely. And you don't necessarily want a currency getting viewed as a right or left thing sure because a currency has to be universal and you know I'll, I'll ask you a question why do you think gold was money to begin with 
Well, there's the technical answers of it, like divisibility and the lack of ability for counterfeiting it. And there's a unit, well, what do they say? It's a unit of count, divisibility, uh, fungibility, and durability. I think those are the four or five. Store of value. Yeah. There's a, there's a list. I think Mike Maloney does a really good job. You know, he talks about it in his series. I watched it forever ago. But here's the thing. A lot of things fall under that. Yeah, it's not just gold. I mean, there's other things that have those characteristics. Scarcity, I think, was the other one. Durability and then scarcity, yeah. Sure, scarcity. I mean, I think that part of the reason why gold was so popular, though, and so widely adopted and used, that isn't talked about as much, is the fact that it's just so pretty. For sure, 100%. Half the gold we're mining is used in jewelry. Why? You know, I mean, there's other things that are rare that we're not wearing, Right. And I think it's because, you know, you look at like appeal across political spectrums. Well, what about appeal across gender? You know, it's like how many you need women and women make 80 percent of the economic choices to want it right as a commodity or as an asset or as or as a money. So, you know, the gold back, something that is really kind of fun. I think this is the secret sauce for why gold back is so successful is you look at a tiny gold coin. And it's just not going to do the same thing as a dopamine hit as a big gold coin, right? We want the big gold coin. We want to see more gold. Well, you look at a gold back and you basically have a thousandth of an ounce. And if it was any thinner, you could start to see through it. So in a big way with a gold back, you can see all the gold that you're actually getting. So I think it does something very emotional for people when they see it. And I think that's why it appeals so much to people that... that aren't precious metals people. They're not libertarians. They're not sound money activists. They don't understand what the Fed is, or they don't really understand inflation like you do, or, or I might, but they want it because it's pretty. You know, They see the gold ticket and they think, oh my gosh, I will totally give you uh, orange juice for that. Yeah. So it's the surface area is able to spread it out considerably. Now, it kind of reminds me of a funny story. So when I first got married to my wife, my wife is from mainland China, and I think I showed her, I think I was ordering some gold or some gold came in or something like that, and it was a few bars. And I showed it to her, and she was like, wow, it's so beautiful. And I was like, yeah, exactly. And now with our daughter, when she picks up like a US dollar or some coins or something like that, we're like, as soon as she's done handling it or we're trying to teach her about it, we're like, okay, go wash your hands. So it's kind of like this, with US dollars and normal fiat currency, you wash your hands after you touch it because it's dirty. With the precious metals, you wash your hands before because you don't want to get it dirty. Like it's got this intrinsic beauty to it that you want to protect. And I think that that is inherent in human beings. There is something magical about it. There's something esoteric. I know that that is not a logical conclusion, but we are not logical beings. We are emotional beings. And there is something emotional about precious metals. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. You know, so capturing that, it's really exciting. I mean, if you ever take a gold back with you and try to use it as a tip somewhere or give it to someone that you just know has never, you know, really handled precious metals, the reaction that you get is really visceral most of the time. People will get really excited. You know, I've had waitresses, they go and they show all the other waitresses and then they show all the cooks and then everyone's asking about where they get them. And, you know, it's just this really exciting thing. And, you know, you tip somebody five bucks and like, you're never going to get that experience. You know, you're never going to get that reaction. 
as more of a banal thing. Whereas, but I think that's what you have to have for a, a new currency to be successful. And in terms of just raw success, the goldback has already outpaced the success of all other 2000 local currencies in the US combined. It's the most <laughs> successful local currency in US history. That's cool. That's very cool. Okay, talk to me about the art a little bit on these because I was looking at at the ones that I ordered. I, I ordered a number of different ones just to because I really appreciated the art. I assume that there are some some serious symbolism, or maybe I would guess that there's got to be some type of Easter eggs in these types of art. Can you walk us through any of that? Or, or maybe I'm just imagining things. Maybe it doesn't exist at all. No, sure. I mean, if you're going to make money, money carries a whole lot of symbolism. If I were to summarize some of the symbolism you're going to see in goldbacks is, for starters, we're trying to capture state history. So if there's a South Dakota series, you know, we're, we're trying to capture a lot of South Dakota state history and what's special about South Dakota in these series. And unlike a coin, we have a lot of surface area to work with. You know, if this is how much surface area you have for a coin, compare that against the gold back. We have a lot of space to play with in terms of getting that on there. So, you know, you might have, you know, 15, 20, 30 different elements of symbolism on every single gold back. We use Lady Virtues on gold backs. Part of the initial reason why we decided to use Lady Virtues is because we wanted to make them as different from dollars as we possibly could, right? We didn't want them to look like dollars. We didn't want them to feel like dollars. We wanted them to be so different that the dumbest American couldn't be confused between a gold back and a dollar. We made them worth more than dollars. You know, no one's trying to pass off a gold back as a dollar, right? Sure. So that was part of why we thought, you know, maybe woman, but then we thought, well, let's look at the roots of Western civilization. If you go, you know, pre-Christianity, even, you know, the Romans, they had woman and body virtues, right? And we we see that throughout our culture, you know, the, the Statue of Liberty, right? That's a lady virtue or Veritas, the goddess of truth or Justicia, the goddess of justice. It's a virtue of Western civilization embodied as a woman. And that's what we're we're using on the goldbacks themselves. They'll often get, you know, have a tire that correlates to something in state history, the people in state history. So for Utah, it starts with like a, a Ute Native American. For Nevada, I think it's it's almost more like a like a Catholic Virgin Mary kind of image on the on the Nevada one. You see these things that have roots in the cultures of those places. And I think that's part of what really resonates with people is they feel like there's a lot going on in terms of, you know, symbolism and meaning behind a gold back. Well, I know when I got mine in the mail, I showed my wife once again, she was very excited. And we sat down for probably an hour and just kind of like looking at it and discussing it and having a conversation about it and kind of looking at things. I didn't, I didn't do any research or if there is any literature on the meaning of any of them, but just appreciate it as a piece of art and then trying to, I don't know, dissect is maybe not the right word, but like think it through on all of these types of things. But I think that it does ultimately come down to your previous points about why it is so successful. Because if it was just a coin with a buffalo on it or something, or a, like a maple leaf. Like, are you going to spend an hour to actually talk about it and stare at it and have a conversation with your spouse about it? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's a very different type of product, I suppose. You know, I'll, I wish I had one on me, but the New Hampshire 50, I'll tell you one of the stories. 
it captures the White Pine Rebellion. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. So the crown came in, the English crown. This is when New Hampshire was a colony. They came in and they said, hey, you know, all of the trees above a certain size in New Hampshire, we're going to reserve those for masts in the in the English Navy. Right. So they belonged to the king. They belonged to the crown. And they had a guy go around New Hampshire and he marked trees with the king's seal to let everybody know that they couldn't cut down those trees, that those belonged to the king. Well, there was a lumber mill up in New Hampshire somewhere. And, you know, they're cutting down trees. They're trying to find ones that qualified that they could cut down. And the sheriff came and he went into their lumber mill and he came out and he said, hey, you know, you, you've got however many trees with the king's seal on it. And sure enough, you know, the men came back into their mill and freshly cut, you know, king seals on these trees that were probably the right size, but had been missed by the king's men. Well, it came a, a legal dispute, right? So the men said, hey, you know, this is illegitimate. These are our trees. They said, no, you have to get fined. So they hired a lawyer. The lawyer went to talk to the governor in the colony and, you know, make the case. And I'll, I'll try to keep this story short. So the, the lawyer's talking to the governor and the governor tried to bribe the lawyer. He said, you know what? You can be in charge of the entire program for all the trees in New Hampshire if you can make, just make this problem go away. So the lawyer goes back and he tells his clients okay, I think you guys should just pay the fines and just call it a day. Well, the colonists didn't like this at all. And what they did is in the middle of the night, they went and they took the sheriff and the lawyer and they cut the ears and tails off their horses and donkeys. They came, they tarred and feathered the men and sent them out of town on their tailless and earless horses and donkeys. They sent them packing and they beat them with a stripe for every single tree that was being disputed. So they whipped, they whipped these guys. And that was the White Pine Rebellion. It was right before the Revolutionary War. I don't know if it was a decade before or five years before. But it by historians, it's considered one of the first acts of the American Revolution against the country. So on the 50 for New Hampshire, you have Liberty, and she's standing over a broken axe and one of the trees that has the king symbol in it. And she's holding the pine switch, and she's carrying the flag with a pine tree on it. And it says, you know, appeal to God. Because if you can't appeal to the governor, appeal to God, you know, there is natural laws. And if you violate those laws, you're going to be held to a higher level, right? And that was one of the main flags during the American Revolution was just uh, had a pine tree on it. That's an amazing story. That's all that symbolism, that whole story is being told on the, on the New Hampshire 50. It's an amazing story. Yeah. If you're interested in any of the symbolism and any of the particular goldback, because you can actually go onto goldback.com and look at the gallery and you can get a high definition image and you can read quite a bit. I think there's like a page worth of information on every goldback. And I don't even think that captures quite everything. So, Okay, amazing. Well, I'm going to make sure to link to that so that people can go direct. For those interested in moving to another country, I highly recommend learning the local language before you arrive. After traveling for the last 23 years straight, I have seen many people fall into the expat bubble trap. This is where you move to a new country and you only talk to people from the USA or Canada and you are unable to make local friends. The best way to combat this is by having an understanding of the local language. And the best program I have ever seen for this is storylearningcourses.com. 
These are the programs I use to go from very crummy language skills to fluent in no time flat. The courses are fun and easy to understand and most importantly, really work. No matter where you are in your language learning abilities, go to storylearningcourses.com. That's storylearningcourses.com to learn more. I guess that's also a good transition with the website because your company, if I understand correctly, you guys don't actually sell goldbacks. You guys work with distributors who sell. Is that correct? We don't sell goldbacks directly to end users. Yeah, to retail, I should say. Yeah. We we sell to existing precious metals dealers. When we got started, you know, I had a choice. I thought, okay, I could make a company that sells direct to end users. And I can kind of go against the entire precious metals apparatus in the country. And some companies do that. Like if you look at like Purple Mattress, they didn't do any business with any of the existing mattress companies. They just sold direct to clients. You know, it's a very valid model. It's very disruptive. And I I didn't really want to do that. I probably would have had to have had dozens of employees almost immediately. I thought, well, it's going to go a lot easier to just sort of let people that are already selling gold and silver to sell goldbacks because one, it should line up with their mission. And two, they already have all the infrastructure and all the client lists and all the marketing know-how and everything else. So that's that's the model we decided to go for. Okay. And do you think that you will... Well, first of all, I think that it is important to stay with existing networks. And if you can leverage their networks, the growth will be considerably faster. Now, are you guys considering in selling in other places opposed to just selling to precious metals dealers? Because I know that many people would be interested, or I would imagine many people would be interested in this, who would not be the same type of people that would just be looking at buying a store of precious metals to put in a vault or something like that. Because this is a a different value proposition. This is actually for commerce, where if you're owning a a hundred ounce bar of silver or something like that, that's not for commerce. There's, There's nothing commerce about that whatsoever. You know, that's that's a very fair question. We do have a few other types of businesses. We have, you know, kind of preparedness-oriented businesses that that also sell goldbacks. It might end up being more kind of institutional companies that that do goldbacks long-term. I think that there might be more interest in retailing goldbacks if it wasn't for the fact that there's a pretty tight margin on goldbacks. You know, people assume that you look at like 100% premium on a goldback, and they just think the whole thing's profit. And they don't really appreciate that if you're going to take an ounce of gold and you're going to split it into a thousand pieces that are all serialized and not able to be counterfeited, and you're going to do it with micro technology, that's the same level of technology used in, you know, like nanotechnology or in microchips or, you know, things like that. It has a cost, it costs a lot of money. I mentioned that the one denomination that's actually manufactured at a loss. And that's not insignificant considering how many of the one that we make. We wanted to keep the premiums as low as we could possibly get away with on the gold back. And that's resulted in retailers only making about 10% on gold backs, where they're used to making considerably more on fractional gold in general. So it's it's really, it's, it's made it tight enough where, you know, a lot of retailers, if they can't make 30, 40% on something, they don't want to touch it. Something else to think about and consider. Oh, absolutely. I think that a lot of people get very confused, especially if they're brand new to precious metals. You know, they'll go online and see what the spot price is. And then when they go to buy it from a retailer, they're like, well, the spot price is at X and you're charging this. Well, it's like, well, it's a very different story 
when it is in a raw form without being processed and now you need to ship it and you have to have all of these people involved and everything like that. But that doesn't mean that if you were to go and sell it in the future, you would be selling it at spot either. You know, you can always negotiate on a premium for what you sell it for. So, And that's a common misconception of the goldback is that they're being bartered with at spot, which is it's just not true. As far as goldbacks go, we've actually tried to incentivize people to use them and barter with them. And what we've done to kind of accomplish that is the price that we set on goldback.com that we recommend people barter with it at, it's an average price across retailers. And I want to say it's about $4 today. But here's the beauty. If you're using an average price, that's a, a trading price. That means that people that know what they're doing, they can buy goldbacks for below an average price by buying them at the cheapest price. So maybe you can buy goldbacks for 360 or 370 but then you can trade them for $4. Mm-hmm. So arbitrage. Every time you're using a gold bag, you're realizing a profit as opposed to you know using cash or credit card. That's why people use credit cards. Yeah, they, they spy on you. They know all your transactions. I mean, you could use cash and avoid that, but they give you 1% back, right? They're, they're paying you for that spying, I guess, you know, or, or 2% cash back. Whereas with gold bags, if you're buying them from the cheaper retailers, you know, you could be realizing, you know, eight to 10% cash back. You know, you're, you're actually profiting every time you're using sound money instead, and you're spreading sound money while you're doing it. So that's, I think that's part of why the gold back has been successful is there's a financial incentive to really use gold backs as opposed to other payment methods. If people were really losing half their money every time they spent a gold back, no one would use them. Why would you do that? I mean, that's ridiculous. But, you know, to your comment, some of the people that get upset over the, the premium on gold backs aren't people that are new to precious metals, those people don't actually have a problem with it. It's people that have been in precious metals for 50 years or 30 years, and they've been taught that if you're paying anything above melt, anything above melt, 1%, 2% above melt, that's money that you just threw into the fire and you're a fool for paying it, right? That's, it's kind of that, that kind of old guard that I have to go against and I have to explain to them. I say, well, look, this is a standard that you're holding gold to that you wouldn't hold anything else to. You wouldn't go to a car dealership and say, well, what's the melt value on this car? I'm not sure I can buy a Tesla unless I can get it for melt because otherwise they're scamming me. I-, I wouldn't buy a pencil unless I can get it for the, you know, the spot price of a two by four because most of the pencils would and they shouldn't charge that much for wood. They're ignoring an economic law that when you add labor to something, it adds value. That's what they're missing. That makes sense. I believe also you guys do have a calculator on. So if someone is trying to understand the value or what, you know, in barter as we're talking, what should be traded or what are suggested, how does the calculator work or how does that kind of bring in this, not just the intrinsic value of gold, which we were discussing, but also the labor value of creating it? So the gold back is a currency. It's useful to think of it as a currency. and in the sense that it's a currency, it, it kind of has a life of its own in terms of what it's worth. Initially, without thinking about it very much, I thought that I could set the price of a gold back. And what we found very quickly is if I set the price of a gold back too low, I wouldn't have a single one to sell. <laughs> and if I set it too high, it wouldn't move very fast. So having all those retailers selling gold backs, it, it allows for price discovery of what a gold back should be worth. And you know, especially initially when we couldn't really produce enough of these, We'd see some fluctuations. I remember right when COVID hit, 
Goldbacks had sold out everywhere at every single retailer. And the only place that you could buy a Goldback was on eBay and they were $50. <laughs> okay. For the ones. For a one. And I think the reason why is because people were so scared and they were so desperate to have something that was a tradable unit of gold that we didn't have enough to meet that demand. We couldn't, you know, so the people that look at goldbacks, you say, well, there's, there's a gold aspect. So when gold appreciates, a goldback appreciates in value, but then there's a utility aspect. That's kind of the other half. And I think the utility aspect that's captured in the creation premium actually historically has been, it's jumped more than the gold has. Because the utility of a gold back in a, in a country, and a lot of these, you know, if you if you live in a country that might not have a stable currency forever, the utility of having something that you can spin, use, and trade with, that's going to appreciate even more. In fact, I'd I'd argue that gold backs have more appreciation potential than any other form of precious metals, and we've already proved it. Just because you have that utility of being, you know, spendable and counterfeit proof. Like for me now, like I don't own any other form of precious metals anymore. It took me a while to under, kind of fully get there, but now it's like I can't. I wouldn't want a gold coin. You know, I I wouldn't know what to do with it other than to turn it in and have the IRS clock in my, you know, capital gains or whatever when I turn it in for whatever the new failing currency I have to use is. I guess that part of me or part of society we're so used to bringing things back to what are they worth in US dollars. You know, I've been big into cryptocurrency since Bitcoin was three figures. And still, I don't think about it as how many Satoshis is it? How many Satoshis do I have? It's how much do I have in worth today at US dollar value? This is, I'm sure I'm not alone in this type of feeling. So I guess that's where a lot of the trying to understand the economics of the gold back is still a, a conversion back to a medium of exchange, which I've spent my entire life with. Right. So we, we do have a calculator. It is on goldback.com. I think we'll eventually incorporate more currencies into it, but it does calculate the value of a goldback in US dollars. And it does it based off an average goldback value. And that's where I mentioned earlier, you know, if you go to the guide to buying goldbacks on goldback.com, those top three, four retailers, they're all selling below that average. The people that are paying attention are buying goldbacks for less expensive. They're bartering with them for a higher value. And they're using the calculator to help the person they're bartering with make the conversion. So it's a tool. You could use it on your phone. You know, and it's not that hard. You say, well, a goldback's worth about four bucks USD. And, you know, the conversion's usually not that big of a deal. It doesn't take that long. And, you know, I've bartered with, and I'm doing the same thing where I'm going back to US dollars. I've bartered with tens of thousands of dollars worth of goldbacks. You'd be very surprised at how many small business owners will accept them. You know, we found that numbers anywhere from a third to half of small business owners will take gold as payment. I suspect that outside the United States, where there's more currency instability, that that number is higher, not lower. Okay, let's talk about the commerce aspect of it, because you've used the word barter a number of times throughout our conversation, and I've adapted that, that lexicon as well while we've been talking. Talk to me about the stores. Talk to me about the actual sales process of people being able to use the, the gold backs in commerce. Yeah, no, that's, that's where the rubber hits the road. And we, we've done a lot of experiments with it. You know, I drive around Utah going to garage sales and I pull out a gold back 
And, you know, we found that, you know, out of a hundred garage sales, they had a 90% acceptance rate. You're talking to the decision maker right there. They're in charge of whether they take it or not. You're not talking to the receptionist. You're not talking to the employee. As soon as you're talking to an employee, they're not going to take a gold back. Now I've had it one time where almost more for attention than anything, I'll pull a gold back out and say Wendy's and say, Hey, would do you guys take gold as payment? And I know the answer is no, because the employee is not in charge of anything. I've had employees pull out their wallets and pay for my order to get that gold back. Okay. I mean, that's, that's power right there. But, you know, spending these outside of Utah, all over the, the country, we find that about a third of small business owners, if you offer payment in gold, say, Hey, can I pay you with gold? They also, well, can I see it? You know, and they're, they're picturing this tiny little gold coin. You'll pull out a gold back and they get more excited. You know, we've compared gold backs versus junk silver and gold backs have a higher acceptance rate than junk silver. Just, you know, junk silver, you're not as sure it's real. You're, you don't want to lose a coin. You're about 30% better off spending a gold back than junk silver in any of these transactions, right? And it's less of a story. It's less, well, there's this dime and it looks just like your dime. And, but this dime is special. It's, it's made out of a different metal. You know, it's like, I'm going to put that in my pocket and it's going to be gone. Do you have any real money? The same person will they're more likely to take a gold back. So again, it's, it's talking to the decision maker. Oftentimes seeing the gold back is just enough. I spent gold backs on things that you wouldn't expect to be able to spend them on. I, I have a Toyota Tundra that I bought at a, a dealership. And this wasn't a dealership that had signed up as a, a business that advertised itself as taking gold backs. And they took part of the payment in gold backs because you know one of the owners there thought, hey, you know, I, I just accepted silver shot or whatever for a, a vehicle. I'll, I'll take gold backs. You know, I've got a cash flow issue, but otherwise I take the whole thing in gold backs. You know, I almost bought a new truck with gold backs. You know, we have home builders taking payments in gold backs, uh, grocery store owners. We've got anytime you're dealing with a contractor, a chiropractor, a dentist, a lawyer, anyone that sells their time, the odds that they'll take a gold back as payment is extremely high. And, you know, just businesses that we've approached that want to be advertised as preferring payments in gold backs. We have hundreds upon hundreds in Utah. In fact, we have five businesses in Utah that accept goldbacks for every one that accepts Bitcoin as payment. Wow, that's impressive. That's very impressive. So how do they identify themselves? How do people on the street know that this particular store, that this vendor will accept goldbacks? So with goldback, I, I say they can be bartered with and they can be bartered with anywhere because they're gold, right? But what the goldback also is, it's a, it's a local currency in the places that are on the goldbacks. And where it's a local currency, we offer a lot more support in terms of setting up business networks that advertise themselves as taking goldbacks as payment. That's kind of the difference. So if you look at Utah, for example, I want to say we've got somewhere between three and 400 businesses in Utah that accept goldbacks as payment at their business. And you can go on goldback.com and you can look at a, a featured map and you can look at these pin, pin maps of all these businesses and where they're at and what they do and what they offer. Uh, we have a business network in New Hampshire and Nevada and Wyoming, and we're going to have one for South Dakota as well. And then we have people that are signing up their businesses all across the country, but we're not showing those pin maps until we have a goldback in that jurisdiction. Because from a, especially a, a regulatory perspective, the goldback is a series of separate local currencies that can be bartered with outside of those locations 
because it's also a commodity currency that's made out of gold. So it's it's both. And that's that's why I've been using the language barter. If I was talking about goldbacks being used in Utah, I'm more likely to use the word spend. They can spend goldbacks in Utah. You're bartering with them outside the state, just like you would any other gold product. And I think that's you know, coming from a, a compliance perspective, because you want to be respectful of all the laws and all the jurisdictions as far as that goes. Well, also on the commerce side, I can imagine that having stores and, and shops and business owners who are already accustomed to this is an amazing piece of the network effect. Because yes, you can go in and you can tip it at a restaurant and tell a little story, or you can go to a garage sale and walk people through it and explain everything like that. And it's going to be fun the first time or the fifth time, or maybe even the 10th time, but at some time it's going to get pretty damn old. Like you're going to be in a rush and you're just going to want to go through your transaction and, and get on with your day. Now, by having stores who are already accepting of this, when you go to pay, it should be very streamlined. It should be very unencumbered to be able to make your transaction. So that network effect of people who already know and understand the system is going to grow. And I, I would imagine it will grow exponentially. Have you seen that type of network effect with Goldbacks? Yes. And we we structured it this way on purpose where businesses that accept Goldbacks, they have a sticker on the outside of their business on their window that says, we accept the Goldback. Or it's by their cashier, you know, we accept the gold back. So even people that aren't using gold backs or they don't even see them being used, they're they're seeing this, okay, gold back is a payment method that the hardware store takes or the car wash takes or my dentist takes or my lawyer takes or my real estate agent takes. And, you know, either, I mean, they could ask a question about it, in which case every single business becomes a point where people are talking about, oh, this is this cool thing that I, I signed up to do and I, I really like it. And and they'll tell them about goldbacks for you know 30 seconds or a minute. And it's gotten to the point now, especially in Utah, where we have the densest collection of businesses doing goldbacks, where when I pull out goldbacks, it's common that people already know what they are. Not just at the stores, but anywhere. You know, I, I'd, I'd be in the line at Costco. And again, I'll pull out a goldback and say, you guys don't take gold yet, right? And the girl says, no, but I've heard of those. And the, the lady behind me in line pulls one out of her wallet. It's really trippy. I'm just like, whoa, you know, like I was just, you know, I was just messing around. But, you know, people really like them and they and they do have that novelty effect where even if you are a waitress and you've been tipped in goldbacks before, three, four, five times, it's still special to get it the sixth time because it's less than one percent of your tips. So to get one is like, oh, that's so cool. I got another one. I've I've got seven other ones in my room and they're in this special place. And yeah, I was talking to one of the business owners. Because it's very seamless spending goldbacks there as a restaurant. They have a lot of customers going through. And I asked him, I said, well, what do you do with all these goldbacks that you're accepting from people? He says, well, I get goldbacks probably every day and I'm out. Well, what do you mean you're out? Well, I spend them. Where do you spend them? Out of the other businesses. You know, and only half the businesses you're spending at are being are the advertised business on the on the official list. The other half are just you just you just have them on you because you got a goldback wallet and you're just pulling them out and just checking it out. You know, Hey, you know, I owe you 20 bucks. Can I settle that with gold? Oh, that'd be so cool. That'd be so great. Great. You know, I just saved 10%. You know, I mean, they know they can spend it at $4 too, you know, so nobody's losing anything on this. And that's, it's actually the core business model for local currencies is like, I'll give you an example, the Berkshire share. You could buy Berkshire shares for 90 cents at the chamber of commerce in Massachusetts. 
and you had a hundred businesses accepting them for a dollar and they'd take them for a dollar knowing that the other hundred businesses would take them for a dollar. And if that sounds like a racket, I should tell you how the dollar works. You know, I mean, we accept dollars at a hundred dollars face value because we believe that we can get that value in an acceptable enough time frame from somebody else. And that's, you know, that's what supports every currency. Okay, so I'm going to hold up a couple of these because when you've been showing them, you've been showing them the, the back of them here. Backside, yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to show these. So anybody who's watching in the video on our brand new YouTube channel, then then you guys should check these out. So this one here is the uh, the New Hampshire. And then we've got the Utah. These are just the ones. I don't have the... Uh, here's, a, here's a 25 here. The 25? Okay, that's a cool... Are the actual sizes of them bigger or are they thicker when they get up in uh, the higher amounts of gold in them? Both. So we couldn't do a 50 and something the size of a one. It would it just wouldn't work. We couldn't do something the size of a, we couldn't do a one in the size of a 50 because you'd see through it. So it forced us to kind of have different sizes for all the different denominations based off gold content. So this is the Nevada. This is one one thousandth of a troy ounce of 24 karat gold. And then we've got the Wyoming gold back here is the last one that I've got in front of me. I've got more, but they're not in front of me. Talk to me then about if this is a local state currency. At the very beginning, you mentioned that you could see that this would go internationally. Like I'm not in the United States. I'm in Panama and I have state currency here. But do you think that it would be possible or do you think that it is maybe probable that this will catch on and become international, that other countries would have their own versions of gold back or their own municipal or provincial or state in those local countries? I think ultimately what we're going to see with the technology is it's going to be adopted by central banks. Look at Zimbabwe. The central bank in Zimbabwe right now, they're making tiny, tiny gold coins because their fiat currency is broken. Nobody wants it anymore. They have gold reserves. They think, well, we, we can maybe... because. The job of a central bank is to make a money that people will use. So if Zimbabwe is going to try to put out a circulating gold currency, their problem right now is that even those tiny coins, they're worth more than what the average person in Zimbabwe makes in a day. So what do they do? What do you do as a central bank if you have gold reserves and you nobody's accepting your fiat anymore? They don't trust you to do a gold-backed thing anymore because they broke that promise. We already have central banks that are looking at this technology and piloting it. I think that what you're going to see over the next 10 to 20 years is you're going to be seeing central banks coming out with their own gold backlight currencies using this technology. And if we're successful in piloting this thing, I think the technology stands for itself. I think it's going to be used all over the world as money. That's going to make it really big. And whether central banks do that or, or not, people are already doing that with the existing gold backs out there. They're already being spent all over the world because, again, the value isn't from the fact that it says Wyoming on it. It's the value is the fact that it's a one one thousandth of an ounce that's measured and serialized and not counterfeited. It's useful to think of it as. Last year, I was in Argentina and I was in Lebanon. I mean, and I was in Turkey. Talk about countries that have massive amounts of inflation and broken currencies over there. It is a, your point though about Central banks adopting this is a very different point of view from what we have been seeing with CBDCs and digital types of money where they will, 
it's a very dystopian type of future where they can turn off your money or only allow you to sell it or to, to spend it at certain places where they want you to spend it or even have it so it, it expires the same as your air miles would expire or your your hotel points would expire. So if we are able to get central banks that would actually use this technology, I don't know. I mean, I, I just kind of, maybe I'm just a giant pessimist, but I just find that so hard to believe with what we've seen over the last two and a half years. There are already foreign central banks that make gold products that are designed for circulation. If you go to Uzbekistan, they already circulate gold in Uzbekistan from the central bank. If you look at individual countries, the Cook Islands, for example, they already issue this type of technology as official banknotes. So it's already happening. And again, if, if you're a central bank, you have to make a currency that people use. Your worst case scenario is a central bank is you hyperinflate your currency away, you lost all your power. Now, it could be that they take this same technology and uh, you know, central banks monopolize it someday and they say, you know what, this, has, this doesn't have a 100% premium, it's a 300% premium and we're still doing you know, fractional lending and we, we still only have you know, however much that's at. You know what, that'd be a huge improvement over what it is today and they wouldn't need that much gold to completely revamp their own monetary systems. You know, I, I think it could go that way too. It's it's kind of hard to see. And in that case, I think for the libertarians, it's like, hey, you know, that's better. You know? Sure, sure, sure. I mean, it's that would that would be a huge improvement if if central banks, you know, did anything like that. So I'm trying to play to win. I don't think without central banks jumping on board that it's definitely a much rougher road if they don't adopt the technology. And even your point on cryptocurrency with central banks, the central bank digital currency projects. If I were a central banker, I'd argue that the reason why they're even looking into it is because there's so much interest in cryptocurrency. Had that interest not been there, they might have not have pursued that at all. Because the central bank, again, they have to make a product that people will use. Otherwise, their currencies and their, their economies are going to collapse. That's their job. So if the gold back turns out to be extremely popular and everybody loves it and it's widely adopted and people prefer it, if you're a central bank and you're sitting on $2 trillion worth of gold, why wouldn't you turn it into something like this, triple the value of your gold and have a better circulating gold currency? I think the biggest question is which major central bank will do it first. If it's the US, you know, the US can monopolize the technology and they could issue gold back like stuff to every other central bank in the world. And it's more of a merit-based hegemony at that point. Or, you know, it could be a hostile central bank. You know, it could be the Russian central bank. They probably love to do something like this. They don't have the technology. They haven't spent the millions of dollars. They haven't spent the decades of, you know, work into getting something like this. So in terms of what it looks like in the macro level, I, I don't know, but it's... No, but it's interesting to speculate. It's an interesting conversation because, I mean... Just very quickly on the CBDCs, we've seen it roll out in Nigeria and just absolutely fall flat, like fall on its face. And people, the adoption rate was so low. It did give me a lot of hope. You know, I think that there is a, an immense amount of arrogance by government officials. And they think that we're just a bunch of chimpanzees and you can just tell us to do whatever you want and we'll just all fall in line. I think that we are seeing ways that people are are standing up and, and fighting back. And it is so important to have other alternatives out there, to have other options out there. And I think that the, that is why your project is is so interesting. 
for me at least is because this it it fits kind of in the parallel economy type of uh, of piece of the the puzzle. Would I like to see it be absolutely mainstream and everybody get involved and we have sound money? Definitely, a hundred percent. I just think that, or I would just, I don't even know how to describe it. I think it's going to take a, a lot for us to get there. I think that it's important, the work that you're doing, and I think it's important, the work that I'm doing and getting the word out there, but it's going to start as a grassroots. And then one day, if we do get to there, then I would consider that an absolute massive win for humanity. Well, this is this is a little bit of encouragement. There's already over a million people that own gold backs. And it's only been out for a few years and we've been throttled with production. That number would be much, much higher had I been able to produce more. Every single gold back that we can produce can sell. And I think a huge amount of the people that are getting into gold backs see it as a grassroots cause. You know, every time they spend or use gold backs is a little act of rebellion. They're they're voting with their dollars, they're voting with their behavior, and they are creating the world that they want to live in through these little microtransactions that they're doing with gold backs. And every time that happens, you're educating more people. And the barrier to entry and the learning curve for gold backs compared to other alternatives like crypto or whatever is just so much lower, which you know has really made it super successful. So I I'm optimistic. I think I think we're going to win. I feel like I can already see it. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. I think whether or not we win is going to be largely contingent on how much people push it and support it. So I, I do appreciate everybody that gets involved and you know, supports it and advances the, the sound money ball. Amazing. Jeremy, I love it. You are a true freedom fighter. This is an amazing product. I am I'm super thrilled about the whole thing. Because as my listeners know, we are all about solutions on here. We are not just coming on to complain and whinge all day long about the world's problems. You know, I want to be able to present solution. And this is absolutely a solution. So Jeremy, thank you so much for being on the program. If my listeners want to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about Goldbacks and your company, where can we send them? Goldback.com. You know, we've got a great list of retailers. We've got videos. We've got tons of resources on there. You know, I, I just started goldback.com, honestly. Amazing. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Schooling for international families has always been a massive problem in the expat space. Families move around, change countries, and the kids never get to build solid relationships. Sometimes families even end up having to head home because there is not a viable option for education. Together with my business partner, Michael Strong, we have a goal to change this. At expatschool.io, we have world-class programs for children between the ages of 8 and 19. Our virtual school is a thriving community of happy, bright, and adventurous children. Go to expatschool.io to learn more about our program for your children or grandchildren. That's expatschool.io. Expatschool.io. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. 
Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com.